Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ian Holloway to my Enzo Maresca. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin, it's November already. Where is time gone? I only realised the other day that we're more than a quarter of the way through the season already. Yeah, it feels had... like we're still just kicking off. Yeah, I've had my eye on that number. The big, the big quarter, because it's a, it's a good chance to just sort of assess where teams are at at the moment in the championship. But you are right, months uh, the months ticking by. Christmas is on the way. It's Christmas music season now, which is a terrifying thought, isn't it? You go anywhere, you're going to hear Christmas music. Yeah, it's horrible. It's a horrible indictment of of Start bad of November. No, it's got to be sort of mid-November onwards. We're two weeks away from it being acceptable. I mean, is it acceptable anyway? I mean, this is <laughs> such commercial radio, local radio kind of chat where we're talking about, is it too early for Christmas <laughs> songs yet? I mean, we need to get a grip really, don't we? Shall we talk about what things that people actually want to hear about when they tune into this podcast? Welcome to the number one championship podcast, The Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, there is plenty for us to get our teeth into from the past few days in the championship. Of course, we've got three clubs who are either looking for managers or we're on the hunt for managers and have now appointed someone. So we'll go through the latest with those managerial situations at these clubs. Uh, we'll talk about Dapon Chanceria, Sheffield Wednesday, see what he's up to. Has he finally got his marbles all in place? No, he's still a penis. And then we'll also talk about the Coventry West Brom game, which happened on Monday night. So we'll talk about that as well. And then make our predictions for the weekend ahead in the second tier. So let's kick things off with QPR who have tricked us all and not appointed Neil Warnock as their, name, as their new manager. Instead, they've gone for Marty Sifuentes, who was the head coach of Swedish side Hammerby. He guided them to European football and replaces Gareth Ainsworth, who was sacked at the weekend. What do you think, Justin? Do you like it? I think so. Uh, it's a brave appointment, isn't it? He's from Catalonia, so he's, he's birthed in the Barcelona style and ideas. Also, I imagine he likes red wine as well, which is a, a, a contrast, I imagine, to what Gareth Ainsworth was, was in tune to. Um, but he's what tried was, to. What ex- was Gareth Ainsworth in, in tune to? What was his tipple, do you think? I'm going to assume it's a bitter, an ale type drink, a heavy drink. I think it's straight absinthe. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. He comes across as a man who's probably needed it over the last few months. But going back to Sifuentes. Uh, <laughs> He's tried to execute his style of play in standard in Scandinavia to fairly decent success. Now, I'm not professing to be a, an expert on Sifuentes or, or Scandinavian football or Swedish football. Um, having read up and, and uh, listened about him uh, surrounding him, I, I have been quite impressed with what I've seen. But the proof is going to be in the pudding, as it always is the case. 
Um, he has a lot of issues to sort QPR going from Gareth Ainsworth, which is proper Brexit football, to a to a total football style. Uh, what we might expect from Sifuentes, it's a huge contrast. You can say that again. Um, interesting what you're saying there, Justin. Put it this way: I currently have a huge bet on for the season, which will win six thousand pounds from twenty quid, <laughs> and it involves QPR getting relegated. Now. If Neil Warnock was appointed, I was seriously considering cashing that out. Now, I'm not. Wow. Um, I will be honest, I don't like the appointment. I'm getting strong Poirier Aspargi vibes from this. He's a manager Barnsley appointed a couple of seasons ago from Sweden, for those who don't know, and he didn't do much at all. I think it's a huge risk bringing someone in from the Swedish league anyway, because the standard is not the same as the championship. So who knows how good he actually is. But I think in QPR's circumstances, it's a huge gamble because the club mm. is spiralling. The team is playing terribly, drafting in someone who's never managed in this country before, never mind the championship, and telling him, we need you to get us out of the biggest hole we've been in for years, seems very ill-advised, especially when he's a very possession-based manager. I heard him describe the other day as Sweden's answer to Pep Guardiola. <laughs> and that is a huge contrast to Gareth Ainsworth. And also, I don't know how much this means, but the Hammerby fans on social media seem quite happy that he's gone. So I've got plenty of concerns about this appointment. You are right to voice those concerns, mainly because of QPR's position and where they find themselves at the moment. And you are right to talk about, I mean, I've already mentioned the transition between styles of play. And that's more of an issue in terms of the direction the board went last season. I think Mick Beal was a nice progression from Mark Warburton. Um, and he went to Neil Critchley. It was a bit of a blend, blend of, of the both worlds. And then Gareth Ainsworth, which is just complete opposite side of the spectrum. I've already mentioned like a drink reference, but Gareth Ainsworth is a high percentage ale compared to that of Suentes, who's a who's a bit of a red wine, a bit more of a sophisticated drink. Um, and go, it's a big transition on a night out, isn't it? Going from a high percentage ale to a red wine, it's not a comfortable one. You've got to you've got to have that go between, and they had the keeper. I haven't had that. Simply simply put, um, and going back to the style, I think it's more like you're more likely to get a tune out of those technical quality or te those players that are good enough on a technical level under Sufuentes and his style of play. I'm probably butchering his name. I do apologise. Yes, um, yes, Justin. I would agree with that. I think you're right. But this QPR squad is very unbalanced. Yeah. And while it's certainly got some very talented players in it who should not be involved in a relegation battle, it's a complete mishmash of styles. You've got half the squad who are suited to playing it around and then the other half suited to Gareth Ainsworth catapult ball. And... Yeah. It would be difficult for 90% of realistic managers for QPR to make it work. That's why Neil Warnock, for me, made sense. It's not exactly a long-term appointment, but I've backed him to get a tune out of this squad. So if you enters, he's got his hands full with this. He has. And may I point out that you mentioned this back when Ainsworth was appointed. I think you may have mm. mentioned this as a play-by-play, -play, actually, back in February, January, February, whenever he was appointed. Is that you? You mentioned that it's, they're going to be the, there's going to be this transition to this Gareth Ainsworth style, and he's probably going to get sacked next season. And then you've got this collision of of uh, styles at completely different ends of the spectrum, um, and it, and it is a problem. And I do agree with you that Neil Warnock um, would have got QPR out of a hole. I would have been very confident in in him getting well, steering QPR to safety this season. Um, but sometimes you do have to take a risk, and it is it is a massive risk. In, in appointing someone from a uh, a league 
that isn't of the same standard as the championship and also isn't um he doesn't have any experience uh, in english football but what does convince me a little bit more is that Sifuentes has gone out of his comfort zone and been a relative success um that's just me you know, really trying to sort of withdraw the uh, the positives out of this appointment. Yeah, but it's a huge step up to the championship for him, isn't it? I don't think there's any doubt about that. In other QPR news, Amat Batia has stepped down as chairman and the CEO, Lee Hoos, has assumed his position. A bit interesting that Hoos, who by most accounts is doing a poor job at QPR, has now taken on the responsibilities of Les Ferdinand as director of football and now also the chairman. It's the most undeserved promotion ever. <laughs> Having said that, <laughs> Batia wasn't the most popular chairman on earth. He was playing golf when QPR got beaten 4-0 by Blackburn last month. So I don't really know what to make of this move, but I'm not necessarily sure it's a good thing. So we'll leave that there. The Telegraph is reporting Nathan Jones is emerging as a strong contender for the job at Millwall after impressing in talks. Other candidates are in the frame, with further interviews due to take place. I feel like the Championship needs Nathan Jones back in it, Justin, just for the sheer madness. But do you think he'd be a good move for Millwall if it were to happen? I really do. I know there'll be a lot of Stoke and Southampton fans who will naturally turn their nose up to it. But for me, Nathan Jones and Millwall just seems like an ideal fit. Here you've got a club in Millwall that doesn't have a huge expectation. They aren't reeling off the back of a poor season or relegation. And that's the situation that Nathan Jones has walked into in both of those clubs where he's not been a success. For me, Jones can go in and pick up from the solid groundwork laid by Gary Rowett and and do what he is good at, which is creating a direct, organised side that likes to piss you off. Get in your face and... I just It just seems like an ideal fit. I know it's a bit of a stereotype with Millwall, but that's where they've really excelled. And although I did mention having a progressive young manager come in, as we always do with these sorts of appointments, this just seems right. It just seems like the stars are aligning with these two. Yeah, it's uh, is worth pointing out the last time Nathan Jones succeeded Gary Rowett, it didn't go very well, but mm. hopefully <laughs> lightning doesn't strike twice there. Um, we all know what an incredible job. He did at Luton. It really was one of the best managerial jobs we've seen at a club this century, as far as I'm concerned. The problem is with Nathan Jones is his record outside of Bedfordshire. Both Stoke and Southampton went absolutely terribly, as we all know. And there may have been other factors at play with those jobs, but there's understandably an air of trepidation from clubs to appoint him because of that. Having said that, I think Millwall is the perfect opportunity for him because they're very similar to Luton in so many ways. Very cleverly run, don't like to spend beyond their means, similar style of play. He likes to get the best out of the players that he's got at his disposal right now. And if it's going to work for him at another club outside of Luton, it's Millwall, as far as I'm concerned. Plus, he's very much the kind of manager who you love when he's at your club, but hate when he's not. And that is the embodiment of Millwall in that sense, because no one likes us, no one likes us, we don't care, etc., etc. Nathan Jones, I think, kind of agrees with that sentiment. So I think it's the right appointment for Millwall. If they get the Luton Nathan Jones, it's a masterstroke. Having said that, if it doesn't work for him here, I'm not sure he'll get another job at this level ever again, because clubs wow. will just be so put off by his record at anywhere other than Luton. Yeah, it, it, it is a fair a fair point to make. But yeah, again, you have to sort of... What I try to 
the point I was making is that both Stoke were reeling from a relegation, had a bloated squad, a highly paid bloated squad. Southampton, again, a bloated squad with a mishmash of recruitment styles and they were in a bad state as well on the pitch in terms of results. Whereas Nathan Jones gets to go into Millwall, it's the same. It's a similar environment to what he would have had at Luton, where the squad's a little bit smaller. There's no quote unquote cliche, big time Charlies, overpaid players, etc. He can go in, get players out of their comfort zone, be intense, and that's where it really, really starts to excel for me as a manager. Um, and I don't think there are many clubs better suited to Nathan Jones than than Millwall are. So, as I said, I think it's a match made in heaven. I think I think the stars really are aligning with this one, and I do. I think if he becomes Millwall manager, I think we can see a bit of a cult favourite team amongst uh, championship neutrals. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're absolutely spot on with the Stoke and Southampton bits that you're saying there, Justin, because while people will turn their nose up at Jones for the jobs that he did there, they were very tricky jobs. I mean, yeah. look at the managers who were either side of him at both Stoke and Southampton. None of them did very well, did they? Yeah. So he shouldn't be totally judged on those spells, but I can understand why mm-hmm. clubs have got their uh, doubts about him. Do you know who Millwall have got this weekend, Justin? It's not Luton. It may well be Stoke. I should know. No. Southampton. Ooh, God, so get him signed. Please, please make it happen. I can already see it now. A Millwall win. Nathan Jones turning into the fist pumper 2000s. <laughs> I've got absolutely no skin in the game, but I want 100% want to see that happen. So please get this appointment sorted out as soon as possible, Millwall. Let's talk Bristol City, who are looking for a new manager after sacking Nigel Pearson. The news was very fresh to us when it broke on Sunday, wasn't it, Justin? So we've had a bit of time to digest it all now. Bristol City fans have not been happy with the decision, have they? I think that's fair to say. And it's led to the manager, managing director, John Lansdowne, doing an interview with the club's media to explain. He said, everything we do is for the benefit of the club in terms of wanting to get to the Premier League and being positive. It's because we've got a good squad. This is our best chance of success. What have you made to the reaction from Bristol City fans to this whole episode? Yeah, I'm not surprised the reaction has been quite poor, mainly because I think the Steve Lansdowne interview said a lot without really saying anything, a bit like me really, repeated himself a few times without really drilling into why Nigel Pearson was sacked. I mean, here you've got a manager who has stabilised your club from some catastrophic decisions and mistakes that you, you, your ownership has been a part of and you've not been transparent and honest with your supporters who you know and love the guy you're moving on. You know, Nigel Pearson has been an incredible ambassador for the football club in the last two and a half years and he has stabilised them. Um, so for me, reaction to it has been justified. I, 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 I do agree that Nigel Pearson needed to move on um, and I do think Bristol City can improve but I also understand the Bristol City supporters' perspective in that, you know, some of the communication from the club has been a bit poor. How do you think the reaction has been justified if you think it was the right move for Pearson to go? Because they haven't been transparent. The, 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 obviously, there's been a clear breakdown in relationship. Nigel Pearson's been laying down little uh, comments. Has, have, they, have they not been transparent? I, I know. No. I, I know. Well, f- first of all, football clubs aren't 100%, you know, giving out information about what's happening behind the scenes anyway. So it'd be unusual for them to do that. But he's come out and done this interview and said, we think we can do better. That's transparent enough, isn't it? 
Yeah, but again, the supporters want to know why this man who's led the club into um, a new era, I think, or a new chapter. They want to know why he's gone, and I think they're justified in because knowing they that. Think we can, they can do better. That's, that's part of it, yeah. But there's been a clear breakdown in relationship. Um, and then there's been a clear difference in, in philosophy. And obviously, Pearson not getting the money from, from the Alex Scott sale or, or Semenu sale, etc. Um, there's, there's, there's clear bitterness there. And I think there's a little bit more direction needs to be given from the club on, on what they see as a future. Because, as I say, I think John Lansdowne was a little bit flaky in his, his responses. I think Brian Tinney's in, interview was a lot better, a lot more detailed and a lot more um, forthright in, 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 in where they see the club going. So that was a much better one. I, just, I think Lansdowne could have maybe given a bit more context to to what you were saying. The, the thing is, for me, in the past few days, I've been very surprised by the reaction from Bristol City fans to the sacking. I respect the owners for having a bit of ambition and thinking to themselves, we can do better than this. Because at the end of the day, isn't that what the fans want? A bit of ambition to take the club to the next level. It's not like the Birmingham situation where they sacked John Eustace despite him having them in the playoffs and already doing well. Bristol City of 15th. And yes, Nigel Pearson has done a good job in that time uh, that he's been there, steadying the ship and what have you. I think he deserves full respect for that. And the form wasn't so bad that he deserved the sack. On the other hand, the club hierarchy are saying they think the team is better than the bottom half of the championship. And it's time to take the next step. And from my perspective, I'm looking at that thinking, what's wrong with that? I'd probably agree with him as well. I've read what Bristol City fans have said about why they don't like the sacking but I still can't get my head around it yeah well, I think the frustration be- behind Pearson being sacked is because we alluded to it on Sunday he's a very safe appointment he's, a, he's an incredibly nice guy and as I said he's been a, a really good ambassador for the football club got a lot, uh, got involved in a lot of community stuff and, and he's been through as well um, obviously he's, had, he's recently had surgery he's had Covid twice he, you know, he's been through the ringer as well at Bristol City so this seems like a, a bitter end to what has been a, a really um, stable Job, I wouldn't say amazing job, but he's 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 got the club balanced after what was as I mentioned a period of some really poor decision making. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's what it is. He's, he's done his job, hasn't he? he? He's done the job. He's managed the transition. It's taken, um, you know, it's been it's been a long transition in that respect. But you know, he's come to the end. Yeah. His contract's up at the end of the season. They don't but, see him as the future beyond that. So they may as well get someone else in. Yeah, that, that's that's completely fine. Uh, and then that's from the, the, the club's perspective, but from a supporter's perspective, and I mentioned this example uh, either in the summer or before then, that, that Derby had a similar crossroads 10 years ago with Nigel Clough. Nigel Clough steered the club into a new direction. Um, he, he cleared up after some really bad decisions off the pitch, got the got the team stabilised uh, and was sacked after results weren't quite going the, the right way. And then Steve McLaren came in and, and, and then it blossomed. The club was wanting to go in a new direction. And, I was against that sacking at that point. Again, there's a lot of emotion there because he's done a really good job in that time. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it can lead to better things. And sometimes you've got to take that risk. Sometimes you've got to flip the coin and hope it goes in your favour. And that's essentially what Bristol City are doing, which isn't a bad thing. Um, but uh, you know, you've got to understand the emotion side of things with this person sacking. Well, Sky Sports say Bristol City have a shortlist of three managers to take over: John Eustace, Gary Rowett. And Nathan Jones. Uh, the club are also said to want to move quickly on this. Nathan Jones may very well be out of the picture if he gets appointed at Millwall. And there were contrasting reports from the past couple of days that John Eustace was close to uh, becoming the new manager. But that has been, 
you know, dismissed by other reports. So who really knows, to be honest. But out of those three, Justin, who would you prefer to be the next Bristol City manager? Well, John Eustace, maybe. But looking at those candidates, they're just more of the same of Nigel Pearson, aren't they? You're looking at it broadly, all very safe, pragmatic managers. Wouldn't say any any of them play particularly progressive football. Eustace's data pool is quite small, but his stock is high. Jones has high uh, high energy style of football. Rowett is Rowett. You'll get you sniffing around the top six, but I'm not inspired by it. But I don't think any of the three would be poor appointments. I think any of those three, I'd see more likely to get Bristol City into the playoffs, though. Yes and no. I mean, Jones has got a history of doing it. Guy Rowett has got a, a history of flirting with it. Um, they are very safe, pragmatic managers. Um, and I think yeah. the, the way Bristol City needs to go is is maybe take take the risk that the likes of Sheffield Wednesday have taken. Um, it's a big risk, but there, there are good young managers out there who will I think will get more of a tune out of that squad in terms of style of play than, than those three potentially. Yeah, I, I do get what you're saying, because personally I would have liked Bristol City to have more of a gamble because I think they're in a very good position to do it. Eustace, Rowett and Jones are very safe appointments. I think they would be better than Nigel Pearson, but they are admittedly quite safe. You look at some of the best managers we've seen in the, in the division in recent years, Kieran McKenna, Steve Cooper, mm-hmm. Michael Carrick, young, talented coaches have been waiting for their first opportunity in management and Bristol City are in a stable enough position to try and go down that route. Having said that, I don't think any of Eustace, Rowett or Jones would be bad appointments and I'd go John Eustace personally. You'll know about his second at Birmingham and how unfair it was. I think he's a manager with loads of potential at Birmingham in the top six, which considering their recent history is a cracking job. Eustace is probably the, the better option. I think he's got a higher stock than the other two, mainly because the other two are reeling from two two poor spells, whereas Eustace is coming in with his stock quite high. So you certainly certainly lean towards Eustace. And again, he's got time to tweak what he wants to do style-wise. You know, We've only seen a snippet of what he can do at Birmingham City. Let's finish off the kind of news roundup, Justin, with what's going on at Sheffield Wednesday, because we haven't heard from uh, Dapon Chancery for a little while. I wonder what he's got to say. Oh, dear God. Uh, the Sheffield Wednesday owner has told supporters to fund the £2 million which the club needs to pay HMRC and player wages to avoid a further embargo. He told the Sheffield Star if 20,000 people gave £100, then it's £2 million and it'd be clear so we can finish it. That would cover everything, HMRC and the wages. That would need to be done before November the 10th if they don't want to pass the 30 days, but that means that there can be no next time. It would need to be before to make it safe. It was on the 5th, then there would be 10 days left. If we were to hit 30 days, then we'll get a ban for three windows. Well, the Sheffield Star says players were paid on Tuesday in the end. Um, Justin, I'm keen to stay as professional as possible when we're talking about this man, but I simply can't. He's just a fully-fledged dickhead, isn't he? <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, and I'll be honest with you. Chancery has boiled my blood in more in the last six months than Mel Morris did putting Derby into administration. Um, maybe You're because, a Derby fan, of course. Uh, yeah, I'm a big Derby fan. Well, so-so at the moment. But Chancery is, is weaponising passion, love and commitment of the supporters and he's blackmailing them. It's not right. It's just an awful thing to do. He's not even put a function in place for fans to donate funds, which tells you of his intentions. All he's doing is he's just pissing everybody off, diminishing the value of the football club, which isn't in his best interest. Um, the man is quite simply a, a loon and he makes me want to swear so much to the point where this podcast will be decommissioned. Go on, do it. No. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, just just one. No bad. <laughs> <laughs> that will show him. <laughs> well, you done. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, the, the really sad thing is for Wednesday fans, they've just started having a bit of positivity after winning their first game of the season. And then this happens and slaps them all back down to earth. The fact he thinks it's realistic for 20,000 Sheffield Wednesday fans to just have £100 lying around says a lot during a cost of living crisis as well. Also worth saying, Wednesday fans are paying some of the highest ticket prices in the league. He's been overcharging fans for years. Exactly. They've forked out enough by this point. Chan Siri is the owner. Paying the bills is part of the role. He's the one who's the multimillionaire here and he's not paying it because he's thrown his toys out the pram. And it is also worth saying the club is in the state that it's in in the first place because of his terrible clueless ownership so it sounds like wednesday may at some point end up getting an embargo for multiple windows and that, 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 that the embargoes by the way would be catastrophic for that club uh, and that squad because it's an aging squad not a lot of young players in it not a lot of players in their prime either um so to get a to get a uh, embargo for two three winners whatever it's going to be would be horrendous for them and um yeah i wouldn't say fair fair Fear for the future of the club, but like I said, he's diminishing the value of um, of what is a you know a big football club, a really big football club. Yeah, and that's no advantage to him at all either, is it? And if that also were to happen, there could be a chance that Danny Rule walks. Because would he have been told about this before joining? I mean, who knows with Wednesday and Chancery? Because never, n- nothing is ever clear with this football club, is it? Unfortunately, Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Coventry v West Brom from Monday night, and then have a look ahead to the weekend. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once; it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast on Monday night. West Brom moved up to fifth in the championship after a 2-0 win away at Coventry City. And I tell you what, they're going very well 
are the baggies, aren't they? And it feels like they're also going quite under the radar, Justin, which I, I don't think baggies fans would typically be, you know, annoyed about at all. Um, and we'll certainly give them their flowers as this remarkable form continues to grow. One player I wanted to pick out was Grady Diangana, who was amongst the goals. He's got two in two now. And I would love it, Justin, if he got back to the player he was. Well, we're seeing glimpses of it, aren't we? I mean, at 25, you risk your career slipping away. And he just hasn't got going over the last few years. But this is perhaps his most consistent run of form that I can remember since that promotion season under Slavin Bilic. It's fantastic to see. He's averaging, just bringing the stats, he's averaging 1.8 completed dribbles per game, which is his highest since 2020, which is that on the back of that um, 2019 promotion uh, campaign, 2019-2020 promotion campaign. And that's by a considerable margin, by the way. He's just he's looking dangerous in Hungary again, and, and the confidence is slowly seeping back in, which is fantastic. See, because you pointed out when he's when he's on form, he's a, he's a pleasure to watch. Oh, definitely it is. And people may kind of forget about how good Grady Dean Garner was mm. because when he burst onto the scene a few years ago, he was an unbelievable player. But since then, he's not played very well, which I think is down to a lack of confidence and other things in his personal life. He has shown glimpses of getting back to that player at times, but it's ultimately ended up being a false dawn. But there's still an obviously extremely talented player in there. And if he gets back to his best, it'd be like a new signing, mm -hmm. wouldn't it? And I think he's under the right manager, under Carlos Corbran, who's a good man manager, has a record of making players play above their level. I mean, it would be one hell of an achievement for Corbrand personally to get Dean Garner back to his best because he's been so far off it for a while now, unfortunately. But fingers crossed that he can make it happen because I want to see Grady Dean Garner enjoying his football again. And I tell you what, the neutral championship fan would bloody enjoy it as well because he was a joy to watch, wasn't he, back in the day. Uh, Coventry... I'm having a bit of a slow start to the season, aren't they? Well, I'm not sure if it's even a slow start anymore, Justin. It's turning into a bit of a disaster start. They're 20th with just three wins from 14. And we're talking about a team who got to the playoff final last season and were the third highest spenders in the championship this past summer. So what's going wrong? Well, you mentioned the playoff final aspect, which is something I wanted to, to, to bring up. You always get an inevitable hangover, especially when you're losing it in a brutal way that Coventry did on, on penalties. Reading, Swansea, Huddersfield, Derby, they've all suffered significant drop-offs after losing playoff finals in recent years. So that's going to be that's going to be playing into this as well. Uh, and the next on the next hand, you've got a higher number of players coming from different backgrounds coming in over to someone. There's a lot to blend in there. It's going to take time for those new players to rise to the fore, especially in the shadow of your your best playmaker in Gus, Gus Hamer and, and, and arguably the best all-round striker last season in the Championship in, in Victor Garcarez. It's teething issues for me. It's, it's teething issues that are, are, are going to remedy themselves at some point. Um, I mean, Cobra equally is disappointing probably at this time last season before things picked up. It will pick up. And Mark Robbins knows what he's doing. Um, things are looking disjointed and, and that's for good reason. There's just, I don't think there's a a squad that's completely blended yet and when it does it will it will get going it's just whether or not it's going to happen at a time where they can salvage a, a push for the players but if they don't I don't think it's the end of the world yeah well you, you know I'd agree with that Justin I think when I look at it now there's no reason really why they should be struggling as much as they are great manager a club that seems to be 
well run under the new owner and a strong squad, which is, in my view, even more well-rounded than it was last season. But here we are with them, without a doubt, the biggest underachievers of the season so far. But my gut instinct is Coventry are in a false position. You look at the underlying data and they're playing much better than their results suggest. One big problem is putting away chances because it's just two goals each for Ellis Sims and Hadji Wright, who cost a combined £14 million in the summer. They failed to score in the last three games despite having an XG of 4.9 in that time. I know people roll their eyes when we mention XG, so I apologise, but that's quite an alarming stat. So mm -hmm. the form's obviously a concern, but I strongly believe their results won't continue to be this bad. The amount of quality in this squad means they can't keep underachieving as badly as this. Do you agree with me that this squad is probably even more well-rounded than it was last season? Oh, without doubt, without doubt. Um, you, you've got more depth, you've got more strength in depth. I think the only things they're missing is probably more creativity through the central areas, but Callum O'Hare's coming back from injury, Casey Palmer's regaining fitness where he yeah. has been out injured. Yeah. So there's there's potential there. Um, and as I say, you've, you've, you've got a lot of factors there to blend in that Mark Robbins has got to get right and it's going to take time to, to do so. So... Yeah, I think Coventry will improve. It's just a matter of when, not if. I mean, they showed some really good form at the start of the season. Um, and that's when they weren't really playing at the best either. So, yeah, I think Mark Robbins is still finding out his, his best, um, the way to get the most out of his squad at the moment. And when he does, when it clicks, I think, yeah, they will get going. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Let's look ahead to this coming weekend, Justin. And before we make our predictions, we need to touch on a huge game. On Friday night, it's Leicester v Leeds. Can Leeds United become only the second team this season to stop Leicester City just in peach? Why not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> I think there's a lot of attacking quality at Leeds that I don't think Leicester have come up against yet. Um, and you raised a good point in the weekend show that... We've had more top performances from Leeds than we have from the likes of Leicester and Ipswich. And that's not a discredit to the work that Leicester have done. They quite notably have been playing in second and third gear and still rolling teams over. Well, they haven't yet come up against a Leeds side who, as we know, if they play to their best, they can be one of the best teams in the division. We know they've got the quality to do it. We've seen Crescentia uh, Somerville dance around opposition players um, and I think defensively and especially on those quick transitions um, you've got a high possession team here in Leicester you know if they get caught on the break I think if any team's going to lay a glove on Leicester and, and, and really make other people stand up it's probably going to be Leeds Yeah I'd agree with that when Leeds have been in top gear they've been absolutely sensational the front four is just so dangerous particularly Crescencio Somerville, who's been like a man possessed recently. So if Leeds are in top form, they're more than capable of beating Leicester. I think Leicester definitely have a stronger squad, but Leeds, it's not far off, is it? On the other hand, we all see, a few, we, we have also seen a few Leeds performances where they've simply not been at it as much. See Stoke last week. And if we see that Leeds team, it will only go one way but I tell you what this is a proper thigh rubber isn't it? it I'm not sure if it necessarily depends on which Leeds team turn up because I mean if Leicester are properly in the mood like they have been for pretty much all season then they could still quite easily just sweep Leeds away well this will be an incredible test for Leicester and Moresca actually 
you know, it gives us a good indication of, of how well they can cope with this expectation and pressure, especially when they come up against yeah. a Leeds team who we know on their day can walk over quite a few teams. And I won't be surprised. Not played Ipswich yet either, have they? That's it, exactly. in that too. Yeah, that, that's that's true. I know they played Southampton, but I was in Southampton's big slump or the start of their big slump. Um, so it's quite hard to you know, measure that that, um, that that success success there. But for me, yeah, this this will be a really good game. It'll be a really good test of Leicester, and I think Leeds are in that mindset of they probably have to win to keep ground on on that top two if they've got a realistic chance of finishing. Yeah, in the automatics come the end of the season. Yeah, Leicester, they've got Leeds, obviously, as we say, on Friday. And then they've got Middlesbrough after that as well. So a tricky couple of games for them. I think Leicester missing Wilfred Ndidi is a big blow because he is just different gravy in this division. They've still got more than enough, don't get me wrong, but he's one of Leicester's top three performers for me this season, without a doubt. So whether they cope without him in a big game like this is going to be quite interesting to see. Let's make our predictions for the weekend, Justin. So in each preview episode of the second tier, Justin and I will each pick a banker, a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend, as well as an outsider. So someone we think is going to win, but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We are tracking as we do as the season goes on. One point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit, which will be a CrossFit workout for myself, while Justin will be going on a lovely coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back. The current scores are 13-12 to myself. Justin gaining a lot of ground on mm-hmm. me after a full house last week. We still have got the Ipswich v Rotherham game, which is, I think, next week, mm-hmm. which... Uh, why are, you, why are you pulling that face? I mean, because that's just an extra point to me. So re- technically, it's 14-12 to me, in a, my opinion. Why are you pulling that face? Discount Rotherham. I know the fans are against Matt I will Taylor. happily discount Rotherham, Justin. Um. Uh, what's your banker for the weekend? <laughs> I'm going uh, I'm going to uh, go for Stoke to win at home to Cardiff. Um, it's quite a tricky one because Cardiff are in a great run of form themselves. But the reason why I'm going with Stoke is because they've swatted aside Middlesbrough, Leeds and Sunderland in the last three games. I say swatted aside, not quite that easy, but you get my drift. All teams, uh, those three teams, are all, all in, were all in decent veins of form and chasing top six season. Um, and, and Stoke were not, not comfortable, but they've been defending incredibly well in those games. And another win could push them into the conversation of can they sustain a top six push this season? Big ask. Defence have been outstanding. Medilaris, Hoiver, um, Haksabanovic as well. All been terrific. I think form's coming at the right time. And um, yeah, fancy a Stoke win. Why not? Yeah, I was surprised you went with this as your banker. Partly because Cardiff have started the season yeah. so well, but also because as well, what Stoke have done in their last three games, do you really think that form's going to last? I, I think it's their defensive numbers that have impressed me the most, albeit Sunderland did create quite a few chances against them. But I looked into Cardiff and their chance creation and they haven't been exceptional uh, or exceptionally good at creating high volume chances. Um, so I think the only thing that can hold Stoke back is is Stoke. If they go full Stoke, they will lose 1-0. There'll be boos at the bet 365, blah, blah, blah. We know the story. But I do think that maybe, especially after these two uh, these last three wins, Stoke might be turning a corner. Mm, I'm not sure on this one, Justin. I've got to say, my banker for the weekend is Ipswich to win away at Birmingham. Probably the most popular banker if we had to do a survey of our listeners. I imagine this one would probably come out on top. 
Ipswich showing no signs of stopping. The Ipswich are going up tractor continues to simply run over anyone who stands in its path. And I think Wayne Rooney and Tom Brady will be next. They're just a ridiculously efficient side. The second best opening 13 games in championship history behind only Leicester. They're a chance creating machine who will play you off the park, whether you like it or not. And I think the best way to try and tame this beast is by taking the game to them. Plymouth had a bit of luck with that last weekend. However, a team which doesn't really take the game to you is Birmingham City under old Wazza. Three losses from three for him. They looked better against Southampton at the weekend, but were still clearly second best. They look a long way off getting a win and Rooney's in real danger of starting his tenure at St Andrews with five losses in a row because he's got two tricky games before the next international break and it doesn't get much trickier than Ipswich Town who are in full flow and are loving life right now. So I am 100% backing Ipswich to beat Birmingham this coming weekend. Hard to disagree with this one so I'm going to bring up two factors that might have a play in it. First one is Birmingham only lost one at home this season. That doesn't just leave a group of players despite a crap manager coming in, does it? Well, am I right in saying that the one loss that they suffered was Rooney's first game at St Andrews, which may be a sign of things to come if I were to just uh, put that out there. Um, So I'm not necessarily sure home form necessarily matters, Justin. Okay, fair enough. Next point. Especially because Ipswich are so bloody brilliant away from home as well. I can't remember how far their unbeaten run stretches back now, but it's a hell of a long time, isn't it? Yeah, right, we get it. Just let me make my next point. This might okay, this might sway enough. you. This might sway everybody. I'm not sure it will, but carry on. <laughs> Birmingham's not a particularly rural place. Any room for tractors? Good point. It's a, it's a very urban place, isn't it? Um, maybe if they had HS2 built already, then it may be a bit easier mm, to... Contentious get that on there but we all know that's not going to happen so um, I, uh, I think the Ipswich are going up tractor doesn't care if it's urban or not it's just going to plough through those homes just like HS2 has but ethically yes <laughs> how has this chat got so political so quickly um, Ipswich to beat Birmingham I think it's going to happen this weekend I've got to say I struggled to see anything else happening my outsider for the weekend is Blackburn to win away at Norwich The obvious thing to start with here is Norwich City, who are a mess. Seven losses from 10 games. The manager, David Wagner, seems to lack any idea about how to turn this awful form around. Defensively, they are just all over the place. They've now conceded the joint most goals in the division. The game management is woeful. Wagner seems to have lost all motivation with these players, and that's why he's facing strong calls to be sacked. Is that going to happen? Who knows, because Norwich are in the middle of this painstakingly long process of changing sporting directors. So until that's finalised, it looks like they could be stuck in limbo for the next few weeks. Whatever the case, Blackburn can make the most of this chaos. They have been a bit chaotic themselves this season, but in a good way, because their games have seen lots of goals and... That's mainly down to them being excellent going forwards. They're giving away plenty of chances at the other end, but as long as they outscore the other team, who cares? So Blackburn could score a bucket load, considering how good they've been going forwards and how abysmal Norwich have been at the back. Plus, it's three wins from four. So I'm definitely siding with Blackburn in this one. Who'd have thought, considering everything from last season? 
Let bygones be bygones, Ryan. Um, <laughs> I mean, Rovers do have a lengthy injury list, potentially missing Sammy Schmodick, Dominic Hyam, Sam Gallagher, Ryan Hedges, etc. A couple more out as well. So there, there is that to contend with, but you are right. Like Norwich are a mess on the pitch and off the pitch. David Wagner arguably has one of the safest jobs in football at the moment because there's no one to sack him. Um, <laughs> but, a good point. So, yeah, can't see him going anytime soon. Um, it's yeah, it's really hard to come up with an argument for Norwich at the moment. Other than they do still have attacking quality, they, they leave themselves very open, and it depends whether or not Blackburn are feeling pretty efficient in front of goal, which they do have the tendency to, um, well, not let happen. They, they they do miss chances on the on the regular as well. So it really does depend whether they're clinical, and if they aren't, Norwich could um, could come away with a win, and David Wagner rides off into the sunset with his arms aloft. Maybe. A lot of it does depend on Gabriel Sara, and I'll keep bashing this drum that Norwich are increasingly looking like the biggest one-man team in the division, where if Sara has a good game, Norwich have a a chance of winning. If he doesn't, then they've got absolutely no chance. I think Dom Hyer missing for Blackburn is a good point because he's their best defender, without a doubt. And Blackburn are very leaky at the back, not as leaky as Norwich, but leaky. Um, so I can guarantee goals in this game, and it just depends who's going to outscore the other side. But I fancy Blackburn out of the two, considering Norwich's woeful form. Justin, let's round up the predictions with your outsider of the weekend. I find it really difficult to pick them, but I'm going with Sunderland to win away at Swansea. Uh, I mean, Ryan, you pick the most obvious ones, I think, of the weekend. You do get your picks in pretty early on the weekday see um, you keep saying this justin yes, i yes. put my prediction in on tuesday no you didn't so you it had, was monday yeah yeah, yeah it was it, was it it was monday it was monday well, at two week, o'clock well last week it was tuesday and you didn't get them to me until after that so you know set an alarm and get your predictions out sooner son either way i don't think this is I think this is a pretty good outsider, to be honest, but carry on. As far as outsiders go, yeah, sure. But the only, I think, the only argument I can really convincingly come up with is Jack Clark. Being devastatingly Jack Clark. If you know, you've got a tight away game coming up here against Swansea, I don't think Swansea are going to allow you a lot of chances. And you've got a player in form like Jack Clark, I think he's going to be the difference in a tight game like this. Um, I mean, you're based on recent form, no surprise to see Swansea being the favourites, but Sunderland against Norwich were breathtaking at times that Dan Neal goal was, was fantastic so I think if they can tap into that confidence and form they are a good away side as well as we well know then yeah sure they can run away with a, a defeat at Swansea as I say Jack Clark's the, the crowning glory of this point that I'm trying to make run away with a defeat sorry I win don't, <laughs> I don't let say it no one wants to run away with a defeat um, I will be honest I was going to pick this myself but changed my mind You're last sure. minute well, I was. I honestly was. Sunderland, a quality side with arguably the best player in the division at the moment in Jack Clark. I, I don't want Sunderland fans to think we're saying Sunderland are one-man team by any means because I think they've got so much. It's just Jack Clark is offering a lot more than any other Sunderland player. I think uh, Patrick Roberts looks like he's slowly getting back into the swing of things. Daniel Pierre Aqua in midfield, two midfielders I rate. Very highly, and of course, Joe Bellingham is Joe Bellingham. Striker, I'm a bit still mm-hmm. concerned about because uh, the new lad whose name escapes me, um, I wasn't too convinced by him at the weekend. But, you know, it may not mean much at all because, you know, 
Sunderland have got plenty else in their in their armory. But yeah. it's worth saying Justin Swansea are a good side too and shouldn't be underestimated. Absolutely not. I, I do agree with that. And this is why Sunderland are outsiders for this game because Swansea have been in really good form. They've hit a nice, a nice uh, stride under Michael Duff. I just think, as I say, it's going to be a tight game. And when you've got players like Jack Clark in form, they're the difference. Yep. And Sunderland, one of the best teams in terms of away form this season, fifth in the away table, Swansea 19th. So there's definitely something there with your prediction, Justin. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Let me fucking shit, mate. Yes, baby, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Lowe. And this is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. It's as simple as that. There's three questions. It's very easy to get on board with. And this week, I'll be providing the questions for Justin. Are you ready, peachy baby? Oh, yes. Shower me in these questions, Ryan. Let's go. Oh, I will shower you, big boy. The first question is this. Rank these four championship legends on who has managed the most assists in the second tier, those players are Chris Burke, Paul Gallagher, your favourite, Tom Ince, and Ross Wallace. What a player Chris Burke was. What a player Chris yeah, Burke was. Massively underrated. Um, that's a tricky one. That is a tricky one. I feel like Tom Ince might be a red herring because you know I like mm. him. And I'm just going to, I want to, I want to float to him to the top. Him to the top, sorry. Um, so uh, you know, I am. I'm going to commit to him. Tom Ince top, then Chris Burke, then who was as Paul Gallagher and who Ross Wallace. Oh, then Ross Wallace and Paul Gallagher. You are not right at all. Um, <laughs> the, Ross Wallace was top with 74, the second most in championship history behind who Justin Peach, Tom Ince. Peter oh, Whittingham. sorry, Peter Whittingham. Of course, of course it was Peter Whittingham. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, Ross Wallace had 74. Tom Ince, the second with 61. Paul Gallagher, 58. And then Chris Burke with 57. I don't think Chris Burke was in the championship for that long, was he? I think he had five or six really... Yeah, but not, not as long as the other, as no, the other players, I was I forget he? how long Ross Wallace was in the championship for, actually. Yeah, yeah, long old time. Next Question is this. Rank these current championship players from oldest to youngest. Ashley Barnes, Johnny Halson, Jake Livermore, Jamie Vardy. I can tell you now they're all different ages. You've got three of those that are evergreen. They do not look old at all. Which one isn't? Ashley Barnes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Bit of, bit of shade there, Ash Barnes. You'll apologise if you're a listener. Probably not. Um, might be. Might He's be. not doing much at the moment, is he? <laughs> wow. Too is injured. It is injured. That's why. Go um, on, Justin. I'll go. I'll go. Jamie. I'll go. Johnny House and Jamie Vardy, Ashley Barnes, Jake Livermore. Oh, you clown! You got oh, it right the first time. No. <laughs> Jamie Vardy was top. He's thirty-six. Johnny Housen's thirty-five. Ashley Barnes, 34. Jake Livermore, 33. I thought you might get stung on a Jake Livermore because I thought he was older than that, I've got to say. Oh, he's young. That, that, Johnny Housen, I just thought he's been brilliant this season for Middlesbrough. And then he, you know, he's old as well. It's just amazing that he's doing it still. Can we just appreciate Jamie Vardy, 36, and he's still 
the goat. Unbelievable. And he, I, when he, he, not last season, obviously, he struggled a bit last season, but the season before, he scored a, a few goals when he, he must have been 34. Yeah, just going back to your previous statement, he's still the goat. How do you, if you're the greatest of all time, how do you mm. not become the greatest of all time? Do you stop becoming the greatest of all time if it's all time? You've just blown my mind there. Throwaway it's statement. Like, it's like watching Loki with uh, <laughs> the amount of time references in there. Um, the reason he's the greatest of all time is because he's the greatest shithouse of all time, is what I'm referring to, of okay. course. Um, and a very good footballer, of course, as well. Final question, Justin, is this. Rank these game consoles on the most units sold. They are Game Boy Advance, Nintendo Wii, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360. I feel like the Game Boy Advance was a lot more affordable mm. and therefore a lot easier. I think we had like four or five in the family. I think I, think I had one. I can't remember if I did yeah. or not. A lot of Pokemon was big when they came out as well. Um, mm. So I'm going to go Game Boy, uh, Game Boy Advance. I feel like Nintendo Wii broke records. So I'm going to go Nintendo Wii then Xbox 360, then PlayStation 3. Yeah, you could have not got that more wrong, oh, unfortunately. Uh, the Nintendo Wii, 102 million units sold. That was top. The PS3, 87 million. Xbox 360, 84 million. Game Boy Advance, 82 million. I feel like everybody owned a Game Boy. Yeah, but were they not just different variations of a Game Boy? As opposed oh, to specifically in advance. Like a blue one, a yellow one, green one. Maybe. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking like the older versions of Game Boys. I think people were still fairly happy with them, weren't they? Maybe, maybe. I did were PSPs that. a thing around that time as well? That They were a bit later. I did own a PSP, actually. Good yeah, they were good, weren't they, actually? Fantastic. Anyway, yeah, we're getting yeah. off track here. Reminiscing. No, I'm, I'm quite happy just talking about this, actually, and reminiscing about game consoles of old. The good old days, yeah. My Wii got stolen. <laughs> it was from Apple. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I went to my dad's house, someone came in, stole the Wii. Just the Wii? No. Uh, then they stole the telly as well, which was a quite a big telly. You did well to um, get away with that. Um, but yeah, the Wii, I was gutted about that, and I've never played on a Wii since. Might be a listener. You never know. Give me his Wii back. Give me my Wii back. I loved Wii Sports. That was that was the that was a goat game. I'm going to keep calling everything the goat in this. Um, <laughs> oh, I really want to play with Wii Sports now. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast, and we'll be back again at the weekend for all the games which are coming up this coming weekend. Um, hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you have, then please. Let us know in the reviews by giving this a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. It helps us go a long way to growing as a podcast and we'll bloody appreciate it if you do it. Damn right. So please take a few seconds of your time to do that and it goes a long way with us. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Surprisingly hard to pick a swear word out when put on the spot. <laughs> it's like in a, you watch the IT crowd, didn't you? Yeah. When he goes, um, 
he says to Moss, uh, maybe you should swear every so often. It might make you feel better. And then Moss is there and he goes, flippers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to go down that route. <laughs> Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.